Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is someone who I think, honestly, at this point, should have his own intro music because it just feels like a, a bit redundant for me to keep introducing him, considering he's been on a million times now. It's uh, it's our good buddy Chris Johnston. Chris, what's going on, man? I am happy always to field your calls. Good to be back. <laughs> um, all right. I, I know it might seem a little bit silly to be doing this right now, considering we're, we've got some fantastic playoff series going on. We're in peak playoff, playoff season, but I think, uh, the other sort of subplot that's been going on in the hockey world right now has been these daily releases of, of the three finalists for each individual award and, and seeing as you're a pro hockey writers association member and, and you had a ballot and you voted on some of these guys, I think it'd be interesting fun exercise for us to go through the ballot and see if we can either come to an agreement or if we disagree somewhere have a have a good discussion about it i'm sure we will disagree you know i've been i've been doing this probably six or seven years now Mm -hmm. maybe even a bit longer and and this i found this to be one of the tougher years just just with a few awards where you know i really had to to go over and over my my thought process and and refine it and and just you know try to make the right decision but I, i do think that uh, this year did present some interesting choices, and you know, I'm, I'm sure we'll find some disagreement on those. Well, I, we should preface it by saying, like, I think having a disagreement is good because if everyone just agreed on everything, there would be no point of of this stuff at all, right? It should be like you just do common sense stuff. I think there definitely for most of these awards, you can make a very strong argument for a couple different guys. I think as long as you can actually make an argument that's based in reality and not just some sort of wild intangibles, or or if you haven't even really thought about it, you're just throwing around names then then i have an issue but as long as as long anyone out there has an argument for a guy and i'll listen to it and i'll respect it even if i disagree with it exactly and you know it, i just see a lot of commentary on this stuff on, on twitter so i'm sure we'll have a bit more of a, a civil discussion but uh, that uh, doesn't always happen we'll out there in the social media universe we'll see about that you know i, I get fired up about these awards so i don't know promises. <laughs> uh let, let's start with the selkie um and the three finalists or the three nominees that were uh, listed by the NHL were Bergeron, Kopitar, and Kessler. And 
I I think it's fair to say that no one should really have an issue with the first two names. It's, it seems like they're sort of uh, mainstays on on this ballot. But I think the the third one in Kessler was incredibly surprising to me because it's such a divide between what I think that I just wonder. Like I I, I had to take a step back and think: Did I miss something big here? Was I just not watching uh, the right sort of stuff because it just seems so out of left field to me? Well, I'm missing it too, to be frank, if, if that is the case, because, you know, it's not that I didn't consider Ryan Kessler, but I just, especially in the top three, uh, you know, I, I don't know how uh, you make the argument for him uh, this, this year. I, di- I didn't see it. I actually had Joe Thornton, uh, in addition to, to Bergeron and Kopitar, mm-hmm. as my top three. And I, you know, I just thought that Joe had such a tremendous season, obviously drives a lot of possession when he's on the ice and, and controls the puck. Uh, for the Sharks and, you know, really doesn't, hasn't gotten over the years a lot of attention, perhaps, uh, you know, for an award like the Selkie, but, you know, I felt it deserved it. And, you know, with, with Kessler, you know, he, he had a decent season, but, you know, to, to put him in top three here, you know, I, I'm not sure what, what I missed that the, the other voters did. That, that one for me was a bit of a tough one to, to try to put my mind around well the thing that i love about thornton and i completely agree I, I have him third on my list as well is that we're in the top three is that he when you look at it on the surface he it doesn't it seems like a weird fit because you'd think especially a guy this late in his career you'd think that portion of his game would have deteriorated by now and he'd be more of a power play specialist or something like that and he's still dominant on the power play and but it's it just a good reminder that there's different ways to be successful at defending in the nhl and one of them is just having the puck way more often and then your opponent because then you don't have to do a lot of chasing and he's just such a master at whenever he has the puck it's just like I feel like I've been saying this all year now if he stays health permitting I, I feel like he could be doing this as long as he really wants for another couple of years at least just because watching some of these defenders try and get the puck off of his stick when he protects it with his body is just uh he just puts on a master class pretty much every time he's on the ice well and you know it's making me think that that I I greatly miss I guess didn't give the Sharks enough credit heading into these playoffs because of that. And, and you know, I, I thought Joe had a great year, but I didn't see coming, you know, what's happened where they're, you know, looks like they could, you know, possibly make a run all the way to the cup final just mm-hmm. based on the way they've played uh, through the first, you know, round and a half year so far. And and Joe is such a big part of that at his age. I mean, <clears throat> I don't know if he's found the fountain of youth or what, but, you know, <laughs> he, he's been good. Don't get me wrong the last yeah. couple seasons, but I, I feel that this one was, was special and, and, no, I'm a little disappointed. I mean, that that he doesn't at least find his way into the top three, you know, as as a finalist for that, because you know I think it would represent a different understanding of of you know the value in his skill set that, that again hasn't necessarily been part of the conversation during his career uh, too much. And you know, if he uh, can can do it again next year at age 38, then uh, I'll be banging the drum for him again as well. Yeah, and I think the, the the fourth name we should include here is Sean Couturier, and I understand he missed nearly 20 games, and for some people that's a that's a big no no when it comes to these awards. But it's just endlessly amusing to me that you for this award you really need to have a requisite amount of scoring to your name even though i checked and the description of the award says the most skill in the defensive component of the game um so i i think uh it's fascinating especially since like a guy like couturier just you know significantly outperformed ryan kessler when you look at five on five production particularly when you rate for uh the amount of minutes they actually played and I just think, uh, I, I don't know. I, I thought that the discussion had changed a little bit about Kachuri. People had finally begun to appreciate just how good he is. But I don't know. Maybe just the, the missing 20 games was a bit too much for other people to overlook. 
Yeah, and, and you know, I guess each each voter brings their own criteria to this. I mean, as as we'll find out as we go along, I'm not one who necessarily penalizes you for missing some amount of time. I mean, it's obviously part of the consideration because uh, if you do it over 62 games versus 82, you know, maybe there is some difference in how you're you're looking at that. But to me, that shouldn't disqualify anyone, uh, you know, from from being considered for these type of awards. Well, I think that's a perfect segue then. I, I was going to do the Norris next, but I mean, I, I think we have to discuss the Calder now because you, you just uh, you teased it so expertly there. Uh, and, I, and I was in the Connor McDavid camp this year. Yes. He got my, my number one vote. And, and you know, I, I, I discounted, I didn't look at, you know, whether Artemi Panarin played those years in the KHL or his age because it frankly isn't part of the award. I, I, I take the, the descriptions that are given out by the league very sort of black and white. You know, who is the most proficient rookie this season is essentially what it is. It doesn't say 18-year-old rookie or 19-year-old or certain amount of experience. But I still believe, even as great as Artemi Panarin's season was, you know, I, I had McDavid first and him second. And and simply because, you know, the best points per game, to me, the most impactful rookie, <clears throat> not only for his team, but but around the league. And, you know, I to me, I, it, it's difficult because he, he missed almost half the season. And I know some people won't like that, but but... You know, I, I just think that even the fact that he missed that time, <clears throat> excuse me, man, and then uh, came back and, and the way he played almost immediately, I just, I, I couldn't overlook, you know, how, how special that year was, even though we only saw 45 games. Yes, I, I think he was just, it's not that he was really good in those 45 games he played, it's that he was arguably like one of the best players in the league right not not just for a rookie just anyone uh you you consider in the pool and and that's amazing for a guy regardless of his age to uh be that dominant when he was on the ice so i think you you have to account for that and i don't know it's tough um i think the way i view these awards is i like them in the sense of being a, a time capsule, right? Where we can look back at this 5, 10, 15 years from now and get a good picture of what happened in 2015, 16. And I think there's very little argument that we're going to look back uh, years from now and, and, you know, and, and anyone's going to disagree with the fact that Connor McDavid was the best rookie to come out of this class. Well, and, and, you know, part of the process that I do when I'm doing these awards is I make phone calls to people around the league. And obviously, I don't just defer to their opinion, but I'm trying to, to get a sense from, from people who see the game differently than I do what they see. And, and there was an overwhelming, you know, almost surprising to me uh, sentiment that, that, that it should be McDavid from people who work, obviously, for other teams. And, and you know, it's not all Canadians or anything. It's not, I don't think there's a bias there, <laughs> just, just a feeling in general. Because I know that, that that always creeps into the yeah. conversation, whether it's West Coast, East Coast, or maybe in this case, some might claim because Panarin's a Russian and, and you know, the other candidates are North American, and that, that maybe that, that would enter into the thought process. But really, I just mean to say that, that widely across the league, people that work in front offices, uh, you know, just viewed him simply as the best player, as, as did, did I. And, you know, that's why he did get my number one vote. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's perfectly fair. Um, I think the the other names are interesting because Gostas Bear obviously sort of took the league by storm with the uh, with the nickname and and the emojis and obviously just being such a an ex- exhilarating player to watch. It, it's it's the the point production is one thing, but just watching the little things he does. And I know he has that patented little uh, twist of the hips when he's when he's trying to fake <laughs> a guy out when he's coming out of his zone, which is just so fun to watch. And he does all these subtle little things that give him and his team an advantage. And he's got he's a, a remarkable player. The the one question I had was, did you give any thought to maybe having Colton Pareko ahead of Gostas Bear on on this list? 
I, I gave it thought, but but I didn't end up uh, putting him. I, I had Colton fifth, mm-hmm. even, and I had third was was Gosses Bear with Eichel in fourth. Uh, but but there was some thought to it for sure. Uh, you know, one thing that I that I think stands out as well about Gosses Bear is is just how much the Flyer season started to change when when he was playing right. when he was called up and then started playing big minutes for them. And uh, you know, he he really made an impact on that team and, and, you know, was, was, I think a revelation. I mean, there was a little bit of hype around him from, from some of the Flyers fans I follow on Twitter, but, you know, I, I don't think too many people forecasted that, that kind of year he had. And, and, uh, you know, I, I'm with you. I just think he was a, a fun story and, you know, in my eyes, you know, very worthy of, of, you know, being a finalist for this award. Well, I think it's, uh, it's safe to say that the NHL is in pretty good hands with the amount of young talent they have here. I mean, just look at guys like Jack Eichel and, and Dylan Larkin aren't even getting any attention for this award. And, and I think that is a testament to just how much the game has changed in the sense that all these young players are immediately stepping into the league and contributing at high levels where I feel like in the past that was a much tougher thing to do but the game is trending so much more to a faster game that's featuring younger players that i think um i think it's pretty fun for us it is i mean and and look at even matt murray wasn't even (laughs) eligible for this and he could help the penguins to the stanley cup for all we know the way he's playing i mean you're right it's we've never seen in history a time when so many young players made such a big impact and you know it's it's funny because i wonder if it would have happened sooner if 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 the, the thought process was different, but clearly one of the things that spurred it in general is, is that teams need players on entry-level deals in their lineup uh, to be successful in the salary cap. And, and I think as a result, you've seen more players get an opportunity sooner than they might have in the past. And, and you know, obviously with some of these special talents, uh, they're making good use of it. I, I even remember just anecdotally earlier this year, uh, the Leafs played a game against <clears throat> Detroit. And afterwards, I was just chatting with Joffrey Lupul, who was, I believe, a seventh or eighth overall pick in his draft year. And he was blown away by Larkin. Like he said, I can't believe how much confidence that guy has when he plays. That, that He basically acts like he's a star in the league already and he's got 20 games or whatever he had at that point. And, and he was he was saying it in awe, not, not in a negative way. And, and you know, it's it's pretty cool that, you know, I, every year I get excited to learn about the new rookies because there's always a guy or two you, you, you haven't, you know, considered too much entering the league who can come in and really make uh, a pretty serious dent on their team. Yeah. Well, I mean, you never want to sort of take this stuff for granted. And it's very possible that we'll look back a few years from now and go, this rookie class was, you know, exceedingly special and it wasn't necessarily uh, the the norm moving forward. But I do think that just the, the way the league's been trending that I fully expect next year we'll be having a very similar discussion at the end of the year, just to kind of raving and, and, and ranting about all the remarkable young talent that came into the league. Well, there's certainly a lot of excitement as we look ahead a bit to the draft with especially the three picks, but you know, even some people believe there's 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 going to be more uh, impactful players there and then, you know, guys that are playing in the AHL this year. I mean, there, right. there's there's lots of options I think that for us to 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 find excitement, you know, when we get to next year's Calder vote. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um all right, let's move over to the Norris and uh the three finalists were Carlson Burns and Dowdy and I think uh I think it's tough to take issue with that. I think I think those were my top three as well. I think the order might be something that's going to lead to good argument amongst people, but I think the those three guys sticking out from the rest make a lot of sense. Yeah, and, and this is one I know for a fact you and I are aligned on because I've, mm-hmm. I've we've been had this discussion. Eric, yes. <laughs> Eric Carlson admirer uh, for the season, and you know it's amazing. This conversation is still cropping up just, you know, out with the reporters at a bar during the playoffs here, or, you know, that, that so many people believe in Dowdy and, you know, I haven't done any even informal polling, but I, I won't be surprised 
if, if Drew wins, it just seems that there's a pretty large sentiment that, that think he deserves this for some reason. And, you know, I saw Sean McIndoe, our buddy, uh, did a pretty good piece going back mm-hmm. year by year, kind of dispelling this notion that, that, you know, he's somehow been robbed in the past, that, that really there, there wasn't a season where he was overwhelmingly the best defenseman. And I would include this year in that. I, I drew, had a very good year, but what Eric Carlson did was special. And, and it was, it's deserving of the achievement. And I don't know if it's just that people are tired of, seeing the same guy win or, mm, or, yeah. or what it is, or just maybe something about the way he plays. But, you know, I'm, I've been a huge admirer of him for, for seasons. And, and, you know, I think with, with that Senators team to put up the points he did, the assists he did uh, to drive possession the way he did and, and the effect when he wasn't on the ice, it was pretty clear to me that, that he's the guy that should win this, this trophy this year. Yes. And I think the, the one argument against, or I guess there's a couple arguments, but one of them is how can you vote for a guy whose team didn't even make the playoffs? And I just wonder how many of those people that are making that argument are still going to vote for Patrice Bergeron in the Selkie. <laughs> exactly. And, and, I, and I just don't see it as being part of the conversation. I, I really don't. I mean, maybe with the heart, Right. Because of the way it's worded, player a judge to be most valuable to his team. You know, you can argue, I guess, that he didn't propel his team far enough or something. Right. But, but you know, I, I personally, again, I don't hold a playoffs versus non-playoffs. I mean, he's not responsible for the owner of his team who, you know, isn't spending as much money as other teams to give him a chance to win. I mean, I, I just don't see that as being a criteria that, that should be heavily weighed. And, um, you know, to me, he's, he's the clear winner of this award. And, and uh, you know, I'm going to be very curious. I, that's probably the most interesting reveal we'll get that night because, uh, you know, as, as I just sort of taking the temperature uh, from people that, that vote for these things, I, I sense that Doughty uh, had a lot of support out there. Yeah, well, so <clears throat> what's the the way it's determined is by you tabulate everyone's votes and then it's the guy with basically the highest average, right? It's not the most first place votes. Uh, no, we vote one through five for each of the, the awards we're talking about here. Okay. And there's a, there's an inverse point structure. I believe right. it's like 10, 8, 6, 4, something along those lines. Uh, we can look it up afterwards to be to be sure. But uh, and, it, and it's just basically the most number of points. Uh, and I believe last year, if I'm not mistaken, I, that Drew Doughty had more first place votes right. than did Carlson. But yeah, Carlson right. won yep. on total points. But, you know, I'd have to double check that. But it was very close last year. And as I say, I do. There's, I mean, I don't want to criticize my fellow writers because I do respect, you know, that my opinion isn't the only opinion yes. out there. But I, I just don't, I don't understand this notion that, that he's owed one or that, you know, that, like to he's, me, he's also it 26 years matter. old. I mean, he has plenty of time left to actually earn one on based on his play. It's not we're we're not you know running out of time here to to reward Drew Doughty for his career. I think there's uh, still a few years left in the tank. <laughs> exactly, and, and but even if he doesn't win one, I mean, yeah. I guess it will be unfortunate because he's clearly a great defenseman. But every year to me is a time, like it's its own time capsule. Right. It doesn't matter. You know, we're only voting on the 2015-16 Norris Trophy. And, and, uh, but th- there seems to be this sort of legacy element floating around. I've seen people make in, in columns and stuff, you know, late in the regular season when we were talking about this more. And, you know, it, to me, it's just something I don't, I don't think should be a factor at all in, in your voting. Yeah, I mean, for me, like, I've been on the record saying Carlson's just, since pretty much the start of the year, just been running away with this award. But as time's gone on, the I'm like I'm coming to terms with the fact that Drew Doughty might win this award just because it certainly feels like there's going to be at least a segment of the voters that'll just, you know, bump Carlson all the way down because they just don't believe in either the fact that he didn't make 
the playoffs, so he can't win this award in the first place, or he's such a liability defensively, so he shouldn't even be second, right? Like, I feel like, uh, whereas everyone for the most part is probably going to have Dowdy either second or third on their list. And based on that point structure, it's quite possible that he's going to win it just purely based on kind of being hanging around the top of, uh, the highest number of ballots. Right. I think we should we should do the math that night when they release the awards to make sure that both of these guys run every single ballot oh because that's God, yeah. because given that you have five votes a top five, you know, to me there's no case to be made that either of them would be the sixth best or lower defenseman this season. And and you know, I'm just very curious to see about that because you know, maybe there is a bit of anti Carlson segment out there, you know, as well. Mm. So how do you uh how'd you round out the top five then? Who are the next two guys? Uh, just let me get over to my list here. <clears throat> and I want to give factual information. I had Burns, Latang, and Subban in fifth. Okay, yeah, that was was my uh, was my top five. Yeah, Subban was fantastic as well. It's a shame that the Habs just plummeted so hard, and then obviously he had the unfortunate end of the season with injury. But Latang is a good pivot point for us because he had a questionable hit in yesterday's uh, game game three, and I think the suspension might already be announced by the time we release this podcast. So we shouldn't probably speculate too much about it. But I did want to talk a little bit about that hit because you were at the game, and I don't know what was the sentiment from watching it live and and from talking to people around the rink on whether it was really a hit that should be um, penalized for more than just the one token game or even a fine. Well, you know, one of my thoughts was it's it's too bad the referees, you know, maybe it was just late enough. <clears throat> they didn't see it in, in a good enough way in real time. But, you know, I believe it was about the 15-minute mark of the first period. I mean, if he maybe gets ejected there mm-hmm. and gets a five-minute penalty, you know, it might not rise to the suspension level. It's a little bit similar to the Brooks Orpic incident that happened in the series in Game 2 where he knocked Ole Matt out and only got a two-minute penalty. And, and, and I feel that part of the Department of Player Safety's decision-making was that he probably should have missed that game at minimum and you know probably ended up getting an extra game as a result but you know to me it's a late hit and and you know i i expect him fully to get a one game suspension i'd be surprised if it was more than that just based on a few conversations i've had um but you know i i've got no problem with that i mean i think it's, it presents an obvious challenge for for the penguins in this series and you know chris letang he's he's a feisty little guy he really he's really <laughs> yep. competitive i mean that's part of that's part of his makeup and and you know, I think he just he just crossed the line a little bit here. It wasn't certainly as bad in my eyes as the Orpic hit, but you know it was still late and it was still an opponent in a vulnerable position. And you know, I I, I just I, I don't like to see that. Yeah, I I definitely think the the hit itself is something that we really want to get out of the game when we talk about all the uh, the head hunting and the head trauma and everything like that, just because. It's pretty clear that Marcus Johansson couldn't defend himself on the play, and and Latang easily could have eased up on that play. It wasn't like he'd already committed to it, and he and he had to finish his check. He pretty clearly made a point of making Johansson pay for being in that vulnerable position, and I think that uh, that's sort of the thing people when they discuss kind of players having respect for each other and and all that jazz. That this is where what they're talking about, right? Where Latang doesn't need to do that, but he decided that he wanted to do it anyway so he definitely should be punished for that right and you know i was talking to a former nhl player last night and he said the thing that that people might not understand is that when you're on the ice in that moment and this game you know there's so much intensity obviously there's there's pretty high stakes and you see a guy like that your eyes light up he said you just you know you know afterwards you feel bad when when you you knock someone out or but in the moment it's it's hard sometimes not to go and, and punish that guy and and i agree that that 
you know, and on some level, you know, I think this attitude is changing, but and needs to continue to change uh, because, you know, those are the type of hits that see players miss a lot of time with concussions potentially. It doesn't appear that that was the case for Marcus mm-hmm. Johansson, but it was a dangerous hit. I mean, there's no doubt there. And, and um, you know, I, I think that, that they, they need to, to send that message by, or continue to send that message by, by suspending those type of plays, even though, you know, I, I'm sure he wasn't actually trying to. No, well, I shouldn't say I'm sure, but I don't think he was trying to put the guy in the hospital. Right. It's just it's a, it's a fast game, and I do have respect for that. That, that the margins are small for decision making, but you know, it just it, to me, it's a bad decision. The Penguins are up two nothing. Latang's such an important part of his team, and you know, in that moment, I I think he has to have a little bit more rein himself in because you know he's him him missing time is is going to be very difficult for the penguins to, to make up for yeah you know he's been remarkable what playing he played nearly 70 minutes combined in, in games one and two and he once again came close to 30 again in, in game three and it's not just that he's been logging a lot of minutes it's that he's been extremely productive in those minutes and really has been ever since mike sullivan took over and i think this is a good uh transition to discussing the jack adams because um I, I don't know. Do you think that Mike Sullivan coaching only, I think, 54 games during the regular season is too short a sample to reward him for being the coach of the year? Or do you have someone else in mind? Well, at least this one we don't actually vote on. So right. th- this is just off the top of my head a little bit more. But yeah. but I, I do think that that for me, he deserve, he merits serious consideration. I mean, if you look at where the Penguins were the day, literally the day he was hired and yep. Mike Johnson was fired, the Penguins were 27th in the league in, in scoring and, and all the, the different metrics. And, and they've been first ever since. Yep. I mean, it, it turned right around. And, and to me that that's, I mean, he, he's got great players. So obviously he had the ability to do that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, more than, you know, maybe some coaches elsewhere, but you know, it's, it, it's, I don't know how you would make a case that it hasn't been a good coaching job that he's found a way to get more out of these guys. I mean, I, I think his influence is pretty clear in, in the, the number of young players they brought up that he was coaching uh, in the American hockey league with Wilkes-Barre uh, and, and, you know, his trust and faith in them. Uh, is a testament in my eyes to his coaching and, and you know getting the organization to to put a Connor Sheary into the lineup and bring him up Tom Kunackle, Brian Rust you know Matt Murray even there, there's there, there's a lot been a lot of change actually in Pittsburgh I mean yep. this, this the stars are the same but uh, the supporting cast you know has really changed in, in the time that Mike Sullivan's been here and you know as a result you know, I, I'd like to see in general with this award, it, it more go to guys that are coaching good teams rather than, mm, than yeah. kind of good stories. You know, I, I think that, that, you know, yes, if you have a, you know, great players, you should be coaching them up, but you know, Barry Trotz, it's hard to argue. He didn't have a, a good year in Washington. I mean, yeah. I, you know, that's another guy. Maybe you, you look at, you know, for this type of award, but it always seems to kind of be a comeback kind of story. Uh, that that wins it well i mean yeah and then you get into the trouble of basically when you're just sorting by pdo for the season and and picking the guy that had the (laughs) the best good fortune you wind up with the past three winners being bob hartley patrick waugh and paul mcclain and yeah i think that uh that that list of guys really sort of says it all because there hasn't been any longevity there and they all look silly looking back at it now just because it's probably you know they, they should get a certain amount of the credit for for keeping their teams together and 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 helping them have those years but at the same time it's pretty clear that there was a lot of good fortune involved that they were the beneficiaries of rather than they were instilling some sort of fundamental changes to their teams right and you know i think the attitude might be changing on this a little bit but you know it just seems that the the great coaches aren't the ones very often getting getting recognized it, it really is you know the the teams that you know get that surprising run of of success, uh, I guess people 
get caught up in it. But, you know, I'd, I'd like to think even, you know, today with Bob Hartley being fired by the Flames, I mean, and last year, you know, less than a year ago at this time, he was accepting the Jack Adams. You know, given what we've seen happen with a number of these guys, you know, I, I would hope that, the, you know, those that vote on the award maybe start thinking, you know, evolving their thinking on it a little bit because, you know, I think some some good coaches are missing recognition as a result. Yes. So that, that, that's a good uh, place for us to, to discuss Bruce Boudreaux because I think he should merit serious consideration for this award this year, which is funny because considering uh, he doesn't even have a job with his team anymore, but he just did such a remarkable job in adjusting on the fly and making making those fundamental changes to his team, it, to, you know, sort of turning them into a more uh, defensively oriented neutral zone checking team because you realize that they weren't converting very many of their chances or they weren't getting great goaltending and he needed to sort of refine their game and I I thought the adjustment they made in season was remarkable in that regard so I think he's on this list for me Barry Trotz as you mentioned Mike Sullivan and and Ken Hitchcock just because the Blues had so many injuries throughout the year to, to key players and they just really didn't miss a beat all season. Right and and I, I, oh man, I lost my train of thought there. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. That's uh, well, okay for 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 Boudreau, um, the, Obviously, there's a lot of speculation now that oh, Boudreaux, yeah. that, that, that Calgary is going to jump in on this because they just got rid of their coach. Um, do you think that sort of seems like an inevitability, or do you think that some of these other, these other potential openings, whether it be Minnesota or Ottawa or even a surprise team, or could get in on it, or do you think? He's going to go to Calgary. Well, the early sense is that they're they're maybe not in a huge rush in Calgary, so mm. you know that suggests to me that it's it's not a fait accompli that you know because the timing raises questions. I mean, it's been what three weeks probably since the Flames have played a game, and yeah. and you know for for Bob to get fired by a press release at whatever time it was eight in the morning Calgary time, you know today just seems uh, you know like, a, like you know you you do wonder, but you know I, I did reach out to some folks and it, it doesn't sound necessarily that that you know that bruce is all locked up for them and you know really if you're bruce boudreau i mean i, I think you have options and, and I, I think that you have an ability to, to drive this process to where you want to go and, and to, to look at the rosters of the teams i mean uh he's he's in my eyes by far the most qualified candidate uh, that anyone could be speaking with mm-hmm. uh, he's he's gonna he's i'm sure he's gonna get a good salary we've seen coaching salaries for the top guys, you know, really spike in the last year or two. And, you know, I, I think he can almost dictate his terms somewhat. Uh, so I, I would, I would expect Calgary's in on him, but uh, it's, it's not necessarily done based on, you know, the, maybe the factors he, you know, he's going to examine, but uh, I'm, I'm uncomfortable, frankly, with his firing in Anaheim, yes. to be honest. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I know that, it's hard to. I understand the frustration there. I mean, they've they've had a, such a great team, and and they, they've had consistently disappointing ends to their season. But it just seems a little too. I'm just uneasy with with how great of a regular season team they've been. Yep. Even some of the playoff runs they made. I mean, they they could easily have won the Stanley Cup last year. I mean, they they lost game six and seven to Chicago, and and you know might have beaten Tampa. I know that that's a like, coulda woulda shoulda, but it right. they're awfully close to being to being there to, to lifting the, the trophy. And, and it just seems to me, where are you going to find someone better than Bruce Boudreaux? And, and um, you know, they, they obviously sweated over the decision and, and Bruce saw it coming, but you know, they, they tried to, you know, even by, by extending him more of a lifeline than 
many thought they would, you know, when they got off to that slow start this season. Uh, I just think we're going to look back on it as, as you know, a regrettable decision uh, by the Ducks organization to let him go. Wait, circling back, when you were discussing the uh, the salary Boudreaux is going to get, was that whatever the verbal version of subtweeting is in the Senators' direction? Uh, potentially. <laughs> I mean, but but what I mean essentially is like th- that he doesn't just have to take the right. first call and job. I mean, it's no different than any of us. I think he can consider, you know, what city does he want to live in? What team, you know, if we're looking at rosters and depth charts has the best chance to, to you know, win soon, you know, how, where can I make the most money? I mean, the, the, the sort of typical factors that go into most jobs, but not always coaching jobs or, or you know, because there's so few of them. Uh, I think Bruce is the one guy, much like, you know, Mike Babcock last summer that, that, that can, you know, talk to a lot of teams and, and, you know, figure out what's best for him a little bit. And, and uh, he, he was, what was the unemployed? I think between Washington and Anaheim was about a day Yeah. and, and we're a few days in now. And, you know, he said that I think he spent 15 hours on the phone the last couple of days. I mean, mm. clearly there's, there's interest in him. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a team out there that hasn't fired a coach that would fire a coach if he was willing to right. go there. And, yeah. and, you know, I just see him as a guy with options. So, you know, Ottawa would would have to step up and pay him big money to to go there. It's just it's it's a fact. What what he does is in demand now. Yeah, it, it, it comes with a price. Yeah, and I mean, if he wants to come and spend the summer doing the PDO cast with me, it's more than welcome to as well. I've already extended that invitation, so uh, we'll That's, see if he takes. Bruce is the kind of guy that might do that. You never know. <laughs> uh, all right, let's let's do the Vesna, uh, and the three finalists have already been announced, and they're Holtby, Bishop, and Quick. And I think this is the the award I I, I had the most issue with so far, and. Uh, I don't know. L- let's go with your ballot. Who do you have uh, amongst your uh, your top guys? Well, fortunately, this is another one we don't do. It's right. the general manager. But I know, I know that, that in your mind you have ideas of who you who you think are the best, whatever handful of goalies this season. If I was voting, I think my toughest decision would come down to Holtby versus Bishop. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think Bishop had a tremendous season, and and in somewhat of a underrated season. And I guess he's getting attention now because you know they're in the playoffs and. and you know, doing, you know, having success, but, you know, there wasn't a lot of discussion about him, but, you know, I know from the t- speaking with the Tampa guys that they felt that he helped keep them afloat at times, uh, you know, in the early and middle part of the year when, when they were struggling, they had injuries, they, they, they certainly didn't have the same mojo, you know, for much of the season, but, you know, he helped, you know, keep things afloat and, and keep them in the playoff uh, race and obviously get, put them in a position where they can have success this spring. So, uh, you know, I would have had Holtby as the runaway winner at one point, and, and obviously with some of the records he broke and the number of wins he had, it was a great year. But but for me, I think it'd be tough. That that would be the one I'd be sweating over between one and two. I think if if you know if I was making that vote. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a bunch of goalies in around the league that fit into this category for me of guys that I was just flat out wrong about at some point in their career. I mean, whether it's a a Steve Mason or a Brian Elliott, I was very skeptical of their abilities to even be league average goalies. And they've both really become very reliable above average guys. And Bishop, I, I, I still remember I was in definitely in the camp of, wow, the Senators made a good trade here. You always trade a, a goalie you're unsure about for a guy like Corey Conacher, who's, who, who's, who's doing, doing good things and producing at the NHL level. And then, uh, what, what Corey Conacher like led his team in, in the Swiss League in scoring this season. I think they even won the championship over there. So, uh, yeah, I think that trade's worked out pretty well for Tampa Bay. It has, and and it helped make up for a poor one they made when they when they went and got Anders Lind back prior mm, to that, and yeah. and you know there was a, a notion at that time that he was sort of the best guy who wasn't a number one in the league and and playing behind Pekarene, but uh, that that one didn't work out, but but certainly Steve Eisenman uh, found a solution 
uh, that's allowed his team really to have some Stanley Cup hopes. And, and you know, I, I would like to see Ben nominated for this award to, to win it. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think that, that he's right there. Um, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury had, in some ways, a bit of an underrated year. I mean, you're right. This was, I mean, sadly, it, it, it kind of goes in, in cycles. But, you know, with scoring where it was, I mean, it becomes a bit of the year of the goalie. There was a lot of goaltenders that, that, that had fantastic seasons and made, you know, a huge impact for their teams. And, you know, some of that is reflected in the fact where we don't have, you know, buckets full of 100-point scorers as well. You know, there's a sort of cause and effect involved there. Yeah, yeah, no, Bishop and Holpe were amazing. And I think maybe there's just no point really quibbling about this stuff because it, it certainly feels like Holpe's going to run away with this just purely based on his absurd win total and how good the Capitals were. And obviously, I mean, he, he it's not like he was just, you know, riding the coattails of that team. He was very good himself and put up good underlying numbers. But I think it's just tough to reconcile a guy like Jonathan Quick being amongst these three guys when it means that you're not giving love to, let's say, a Roberto Luongo who had a remarkable throwback season or Corey Crawford who, you know, we'll discuss this with the heart. Crawford's a good one. But there's a legitimate case to be made that Corey Crawford was Chicago's most important player this season, right? Like, so it it just seems, and then obviously uh, you have a Corey Schneider, you have a Henrik Lundqvist who also fits into that bin of uh, where would his team be without him being just remarkable pretty much on a nightly basis? Yeah, exactly. And I, I should mention Crawford. You're right to, to bring him up. I mean, he's another one that's been doubted a lot. I mean, there was, you know, a lot of sort of stories written and, and people talking that the, the Hawks were winning cups in spite of their goalie, you know, at, at times, you know, right. for Corey Crawford. And, you know, this was to me, a, you know, maybe it's unfair, but it was a breakout kind of season. I think he's he's opened eyes in a different way. And, and uh, you know, he, he should be easily, you know, put ahead of quick, I, I would think, on that list. And, you know the the GMs. You know, the, for one, there's only 30 votes in that one, so uh, the, the the consensus of opinion doesn't have to be nearly as deep when there's you know there's more than an, I believe about 140 that that writers uh, that, that vote on the rest of the awards. So you, you you kind of I think get a better consensus of what was the best. But you know, Jonathan Quick, it must have been a bit of a reputation call. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. I can't think of honestly. I mean, it's not that he didn't have an awful season. No, so of I course. just it's just yeah. he didn't have a top three season. In, thing, in my yeah. eyes, among goaltenders, I, I don't know how you would make that argument, frankly. Yeah, yeah, I don't either. Um, it's definitely seems like a reputation thing. Uh, or I guess he he led the league in games played, and maybe people are just valuing a guy that shows up every night and and gives his team a chance to win or something like that. I don't know. I'm I'm just trying to get into the mind of uh, the people that would have thought that he was one of the three best goalies in the league this year. Well, and he makes a bunch of crazy saves. Yeah. I mean, I, I get it. Like there, there, you, there, there is times you can watch a game and just go, wow. Yeah. But I mean. If you if you look even a little bit beyond sort of that initial cover of the book, I, I just you know I, there's too many players that are are much steadier and more consistent performers for their teams and and you know helping keep them afloat. I mean you know playing behind the Kings I think is is a benefit to Quick as well. He, he's not tested in near the same way some other goalies are and and uh, you know again I, I don't want to be too hard on the guy because I, <laughs> I, I I don't have anything I just don't see him as a top three for this. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, okay, let's finish off this discussion with the heart and give me your give me your top guys. Oh man, well I, I went with Patrick Kane, yeah. number one, and and you know there's there's sort of no morality clause that that comes with this either, much like right. you know some of the other things that get discussed, whether it's you know guys being injured, teams missing the playoffs. But you know for for him, you know, one thing that wasn't discussed a ton about the Blackhawks this year is you know John and Taves didn't have great offensive numbers. 
didn't have you know I don't think he had as, as good a season as as he's had right. in the past and and you know Kane really helped drive that the engine of that team and and to win the scoring title by about twenty points mm-hmm. uh, whatever it ended up being I just couldn't ignore that I mean you, you don't see that happen very often uh, in today's game and you know I I just felt from start to finish he was he was the top player in the league and and was the most valuable to his team, you know, in, in keeping the Blackhawks going this season. Well, and I think people were a bit slow to come to terms with it. It certainly felt like by the time the first round was starting and people had to release their predictions and more people had kind of come come along for the ride in picking the Blues. But pretty much for the entirety of the year, it, it certainly felt like this Blackhawks team really wasn't uh, of the caliber of the ones in years past. And there were many nights where they just looked very, I don't know, sluggish, a little hapless, honestly. And and there were so many games where it was pretty much Patrick Kane and Corey Crawford. And if Kane didn't set up a couple goals and Crawford didn't stop 30, 35 or 37 shots, they just weren't winning it that night. And I definitely think that just by, just how significantly he ran away with a scoring race, that there's certainly um, a case to be made for him winning this award just purely based on on-ice performance. Right. And, and, you know, I'm not saying he has to be the winner, but just right. I, I kept going over this one over and over and over. And, and I couldn't not that you try to talk yourself out of it, but I just couldn't find someone that I, I felt comfortable saying was was better mm. and, and was more valuable to his team. I mean, there, I, I know there'll be different interpretations, but, uh, you know, he had a fantastic season to Patrick Kane and, and, you know, really took his game to another level. And, you know, I just felt that that that, that he should win as a result of that. I mean, I don't know if other people with, you know, kind of the, the sideline stuff that, that, you know, started his year, mm-hmm. if they'll hold that against him. But, you know, as I say, when it came down to actually making a vote, you know, I, I didn't consider or, you know, penalize him, I guess, for, for you know, maybe some of the things that people, you know, don't like about his reputation. Right, right for sure. Um, who else did you have on this ballot amongst the, the top five? I had, I had Sidney Crosby, Jamie Benn, Joe Thornton, and Ben Bishop. Mm. among my five. Yep. That's, uh, and, that's a good list. You know, it, it's, it's, this is a tough one. I mean, the, one thing I don't necessarily like about this award is I, I if I was going to change it, I don't like the idea of most valuable to his Right. Because I, I think as an outsider, it's a difficult thing to, to gauge. I mean, you, you can tell on certain levels, but, uh, you know, we're not in the dressing room. We don't know. And, and I'm a little bit uncomfortable with that description, although I, I think it's forever been thus. But, you know, if, if we could have it be considered more of a most outstanding player i think it would be a little bit easier to to, to make the, these picks but you know i guess we're, we're given the we're given the criteria and we have to, to follow it yeah i think i think thornton has to be in the discussion here just based on the fact that the sharks what scored 70 percent of the goals that were scored whenever he was on the ice like that just such a remarkably dominant feat that uh he certainly has to be on it i i, I think it's interesting that you had bishop on here not that i necessarily disagree because i, I also think he should have been in the top three for the vesna but i would if i had a goalie on this list i would have lundquist just purely based on how little supporting help he had this year if you're going with the the approach for valuable right just because what they had 100 points this year and they won 45 46 games and we saw in this postseason against against the penguins that if Lundqvist wasn't completely on his game there just really wasn't much to fall back on with that team yeah that, that's true we, we certainly saw that in the playoffs and yeah. you know with, with bishop i mean he got my fifth place vote so uh he was five out right. of the, the guys i mentioned but 
I just think that Tampa could have missed the playoffs in a year that they could potentially win the Stanley Cup mm-hmm. without him. Like I think that that uh, he he you know based on you know what I saw, but but also in speaking with people that that, that he really you know elevated that team and, and kept them going through some. I think there was a lot of drama there, not even just the obvious stuff uh, that that's been reported on, and I don't have a full sense of it, but I think that there was a lot going on. It, with the lightning this year and and it was a struggle and uh without him you know i don't I, I, there's a chance i believe that they could have missed the playoffs if if he had have been uh even average you know at, at some points during this year so I, I elevated him based on some of that knowledge and and thought and you know i i don't at all expect him to win but you know sometimes i think it's important to to acknowledge some of the guys that, that maybe aren't getting all the buzz but that you know their team thinks he was the most valuable piece to them and, and has had a strong season so yeah that, that's why that's why i gave him that vote there well just like i said with crawford it's uh, everyone just expected tampa bay to be so good because of how good they were last season and we kept waiting all year for them to turn it around and just taking it for granted that they eventually would and while they were struggling and you know a guy like tyler johnson kept being in and out of the lineup with injuries and and no one no one on that team was really thriving that much this season ben bishop was sort of holding the Ford and, and helping guide them through that storm. So I definitely agree that he should get some love here. Right. And as we said at the top, I mean, it's, it's a I'm one man's opinion. It'll be, it'll be interesting. Maybe I'm the only guy among the PHWA even gave him one vote in June there. I'm sure there's going to be some, uh, some questionable homerific votes from, uh, from local guys. Uh, I wouldn't worry about it too much. I, it's funny. I, I'm somewhat sympathetic to them, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, my job is, it's much easier to vote on these than my job where, you know, I'm obviously around the Leafs a lot because I live in Toronto, but I, you know I really cover the whole league and and you know don't have any kind of natural affiliation because you know I think that the local teams put pressure on some of the, the writers at times to to vote for their guys and and you know I, I I'm a little bit sympathetic to the cause because there there's we're all reporters but there's sort of different jobs out there and and you know being a local writer you rely on the team a lot more you rely on your relationships with those players to do your job more than you know where i think i can stand back and 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 look at the big picture a little easier yeah well i mean you should tell the listeners that you were emailing me earlier asking me if there's a case to be made for pa parental to be fifth on this list so (laughs) (laughs) that didn't happen although pa was was a great guy to talk to this year in toronto i'll say that he was he's one of those the players that i love the guys around the league that that watch a lot of hockey and he's one of the guys that you could say hey what did you think of this team and mm. he'll, he'll tell you you know it's funny there, there's literally two camps i find and now i'm on a tangent but that that some guys literally they, this is their job and when they go home the last thing they want is hockey right and then there's other guys that are in the playoffs right now that every night their team doesn't play they're watching every game and and can can break that down and you know i, I like the guys and in the ladder pool because i find it they, they help me understand the sport even better yeah definitely um all right so speaking of what do you uh we'll end with this what do you what are you watching these days i know you're you're covering penguins capital so you're obviously keying in on that series but what sort of uh what sort of nuggets are you looking for in these next couple of days well i'm watching literally every possible game that i that i'm able to you know when i'm not at the, the rink in the in the penguins capital series and uh you know it, it's a it, to me it's a fascinating playoffs uh, I know that that there's all this talk about no Canadian teams or no original six teams, but you know the fact that the door's kind of been blown wide open, and you know one of these teams is going to kind of remake their story. I mean, the best teams, you know, the teams that I view as having the best chance to win the cup at this point are, are St. Louis, San Jose, Pittsburgh, and then maybe Washington, uh, just off the top of my head. And, and all those organizations have kind of 
had the storyline that, that they've been you know unable to get the job done the last number of years. So you know I, I'm I'm fascinated to see how that turns out, and you know I've been loving watching the Western games because those are the ones I've been able to see the most just with you know, getting my work done and, you know, getting to a TV to, to watch them. Mm, yeah, for sure. Um, all right, Chris, well, uh, I, I have no doubt that we'll get you back on, uh, back on the PDO cast sometime soon. As you hear, uh, the pucks going on in the background, is practice starting? The Capitals are coming on the ice here in Pittsburgh. There so. we go. Uh, Chris, it's been fun as always, and we'll chat with you soon. Okay. Thanks, Dimitri. The Hockey PDO cast with Dimitri Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO cast. Mm-hmm.